Hey, it's Kathy with Rocky Retirement. And as promised, today's Friday, and so you'll be getting to listen to Henry Shapiro's Retired Excited. I know you're just going to love this as much as I do. And don't forget, you can still listen to Rock Your Retirement, where I'm the host, and those shows are released on Mondays. Welcome to the Retired Excited Podcast. Retired Excited, the show where we give retired and want-to-be-retired folk a look at how great retired life can be. Here we talk to men and women who are happily retired and loving their life. We explore the techniques, activities, beliefs, and excitement of these happy retirees and examine how every Tom, Dick, and Mary can benefit from their experience. Together, we will delve into what retired happiness really looks like and how anyone can achieve it. Here is your host, Henry Shapiro. Hey folks, Henry here at Retired Excited, the show providing inspiration for people who are nearly retired, newly retired, or say they're never going to retire. If you're nearing retirement and fearful of what lies ahead, you don't need to be. If you're already retired and wondering how to fill your days, then this show is exactly for you. Here we talk to retired people doing things that make them happy. Things from stamp collecting to cruising, from dancing to touring the world on a motorbike. There's an exciting stage of life to be enjoyed after full-time work and it's got nothing to do with your financial situation or social position. We talk to everyday retired people who are living the life they want and we talk to a few professionals to get expert advice. And I chip in with some of my own experiences. Welcome, folks, to episode number 12 of Retired Excited. You're probably wondering about the strange title to this episode. And it's because this lady really did trick me. Now, I say lady. I know if I was going to be politically correct, I would say woman. This woman tricked me. But at my age, it just does not come naturally out of my mouth. So this lady tricked me. And the reason she tricked me is... I had gone along to her place with the full intention of talking to her about downsizing because I knew that she had downsized. But no, that's not what she wanted to talk about. She wanted to talk about juvenile justice. Now, I know Robin, and I had no idea that she was involved in juvenile justice. So this came as a, uh, this came as a surprise to me, and it turned out to be a really interesting and purposeful topic. So Robin talks to us about uh, what she has done in the past. She's got a really varied experience, done lots of um, really terrific things. And when she retired, she was looking forward to retirement, had a great retirement bash. And she talks about that and the importance of that and talks about what she had intended to do when she retired. She's got an elderly mother and she wanted to look after her mother, give, spend some more time doing that. But she recognised that she needed something to take the place of work. I think that's that's a pretty good realisation for people to have. That Anyhow, she didn't want to just go into, um, as I always say, sitting on the couch in her pyjamas eating chocolates and watching television. She wanted something purposeful to do and took active steps to try and find something. And she did. 
and what she finally decided on was to become an independent visitor for youth justice. Now, I had no idea what that is, and you've probably got no idea either what that is, but okay, let's find out. Well, hi folks, here we are again in Melbourne on a gorgeous day at Retired Excited, and I'm here today in a beautiful house owned by Robin and Greg. Robin, how are you this morning? Hi Henry, how are you? I'm, I'm very, good. I'm very, very well. Robin, what we're going to do is talk about the things that you have been doing before you retired, and then what happened more or less when you retired, and then what you've done after you retired. How does that sound? Okie doke. Okie doke. Tell me about what you were doing in the past. Well, I dare say you want the potted version. Yes, yes, the potted version. <laughs> well, my last job in my 50s was I was looking after uh, staff training at a TAFE college. What's a TAFE college? Vocational education. Vocational education. Yeah, yeah. But I looked after the staff training rather than doing the teaching. So have you got a teaching background? <clears throat> I have got a teaching background, but I haven't taught that much. I've got a general background. I started off life as a scientist. I worked in genetics, but I found it rather boring. And <laughs> uh, the bacteria couldn't talk back. <laughs> right. And so I, and on recommendation of a friend of mine, I did teaching. He said, you'll either love it or hate it, but you'll never be bored. And he was quite correct. <laughs> he's trouble, isn't he, Philip? Yes, he's trouble. We both know Philip. But he has good career advice. Terrific. So I loved it, but I ended up, money taught for about five years and I worked in curriculum. I worked at the, I was a member of the Work Care Appeals Board. I was a union official for five years and so on. So I've had various bits and pieces, but that was my last job. Tell, tell us about being a union official a little bit. I worked at the what was the old tech teachers union mm -hmm. and I was a welfare officer, mostly advising people about how to get out of teaching, perhaps when they were feeling rather stressed. Uh, but in those days, had quite a bit to do with workers' compensation and occupational health and safety and rehab and what was then the old work care and so on. And from that, I ended up at the Work Care Appeals Board, which was demolished by Jeff Kennett. Mm -hmm. So we all got the sack. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who are not in Victoria or don't know, Jeff Kennett was the Premier of Victoria for a while. And he was a very gung-ho Liberal Member of Parliament and leader of, the, leader of the government at the time. So, all right, so leading up, just as you were leading up to retirement, mm -hmm. what were you doing again, just remind us? I was looking after training at uh, a TAFE college okay, in Victoria. I'd worked yeah. in quite a few... Uh, TAFE colleges, doing different jobs, more in research and project management. But this job I really liked, but I'd done it for five years. I was coming up to my 60th birthday <gasps> and I was in a meeting one day and someone said, oh, we've had this great idea. And I went, oh, I didn't say anything. And I thought, I think we did that in the 70s. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, Robin, this might be the time for you to get out. <laughs> I liked my job and the the staff were great. But I thought I'd, I'd sort of done it to death, so I thought, coming up to my 60th birthday, I'm going to retire on my time and my choice. And so were you looking forward to it? Yes, I was. I had lots of things I knew I had to do. My mum needed uh, quite a bit of extra care. She was developing uh, dementia. My sister and I were struggling to keep her at home, yeah. like lots of people my age. And uh, my husband and I wanted to downsize and uh, to move to another house. He was working in 
uh, Geelong and we had a little house at Point Lonsdale and I thought I would like to spend a bit more time there. And so I thought, oh, this is a good time to go for it. And so tell me about the actual retirement itself, how you managed your way through that little, Mm -hmm. I don't know, a few months or a year. Tell us how how it happened. Well, it was easy. I just wrote to my boss and said, I'm going to retire on my birthday in January uh, when I'm 60. And she said, oh, that's a shame. And, <laughs> so and here's your papers, goodbye. Yeah. Well, obviously we'd been to the uh, retirement advisor, uh, my husband and I, to talk about that. Uh, my husband earlier had been to the retirement advisor. He was hoping to retire at 50. And when the guy looked at our sums, he said, no, be 65 for you, mate. <laughs> anyway, we'd done our sums and we thought that's okay. Having been in the public service most of my life, we had reasonable super. So that's what happened. I had a fantastic farewell, uh, which is a very important thing when you're retiring. And I think a lot of people, they leave their job. Uh, when my husband retired, he didn't even get a cup of tea and an Arnott's biscuit, nothing. I had a lavish gift. I had lovely things said about me, and it was a great end to that period. To a career. Yeah, uh, yeah. A, and a, it was the end of my... A full stop at the yeah. end of the career. And it wasn't that I'd been at that place all the time, but they realised that this was the end. And I think of my career, and they celebrated that, and it was great. I remember it to this day. A friend of mine who worked at the TAFE, he came and played the cello, and, you know, Gosh, it was really great. Yeah. Goodness me. <laughs> so, but that's a very important thing, and I know that when I was working at the union with um, teachers who left sometimes... Uh, vice-principals, they left after 40 years of service. Someone said, oh, see ya. <laughs> it, was, it was it. It was terrible. Terrible. And it actually made them ill because of it, because they they just they didn't want a lavish gift or anything else. They just wanted people to uh, remember what they'd done and celebrate just Acknowledge it. their service, really. Exactly. Yes. When you had retired, so now mm. you're retired. Yep. You're at home. Yes. And all of a sudden you find out there's... All these things that you have to do around the house that you've been neglecting, <laughs> I imagine. That that's what's what no, I got over that pretty quickly, Henry. <laughs> I didn't worry too much about that. In, in well, your head, how did you feel about that? In, great. Uh, uh, great. The first day, I thought, oh, I can lie in bed and read the paper. I'm a person who likes to stay up late and not get up early, so I was fine. I The first day, I remember thinking, Oh, great, everyone's in that meeting and I'm not there. I'm having a coffee, <laughs> reading the paper, luxuriating, and I haven't lost that feeling. <laughs> so, as I said, I really enjoyed my work and I love the people, and I still see regularly the people I worked with, but I, but I did think about what I was going to do. And the first thing was with mum, and uh, because I had the time, we were able to um, help mum get into some supported living, which was she loved and her buddies were there and that was really good but that took a bit of time and then yes I did have to clean up the house a bit because we wanted to sell it that involved a great many trips to the tip (laughs) (laughs) so here you are you're at home and I must say I've been retired now for about a year and a half or so Mm -hmm. and I still think to myself I should be at work (laughs) (laughs) it's a hard psychological thing for me anyhow for some people but not I, no, not for me. No, not for I never thought of that. What I did think of, though, was I missed the the way you work in a team, coming to work and thinking, because I worked in human resources as well and there was always a drama, and I missed a bit of that excitement, I suppose it was, <laughs> of someone who'd done something dreadful and how we're going to sort it out and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and I missed, and I had a lovely team of people I worked with and I missed that. So I knew that I had to replace that in my life, but mm. I didn't particularly want to work in the same field. I had done that to death. So let's talk about that. You, you want to replace that feeling of uh, teamwork mm-hmm. and no, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to yeah. go back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Before you retired, mm-hmm. you were looking forward to retiring. Mm-hmm. What did you think you were going to be doing when you retired? I thought, well, we had a, we have a daughter who um, was at university and I knew that she was still living at home and then later on with her boyfriend, so I knew that would involve us quite a bit. You're thrown around now? Uh, eventually. <laughs> They've been here four years. Uh, and she has a small business, so we have to help with that. But I didn't know that at the time. And... But I thought I knew, and I knew I had Mum to look after in the house. But I also knew in my mind that wouldn't be enough, so that I'd have to think about something I wanted to do. I'm not particularly sporty, but I did miss the challenge of new projects, something new and exciting to do, so, and working with a team. I like doing that. I like. So you weren't quite. If I just butt yeah. in on you, you weren't quite certain what you were going to do. No. But you knew it was going to have to be something. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So then now let's move on to mm. you've retired, you've, mm. you look, you've looked after mum, yeah. you've made a big list of things that you want Greg to do. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just a list, Henry, it was more of a... <laughs> Tome. <laughs> so, yes, that's right. <laughs> and uh, you're looking around for a project or, or okay. something. So let's go into that story. Okay. So I've got mum settled sold the house, which we'll talk about later because that's quite a bit of a story. But I went to, I was sort of thinking about in my head what I might do, and then I saw an ad for uh, like a volunteer exhibition, and it was at my local town hall. And so I went along to that, and at the town hall they had little stalls with a whole lot of people representing their organisations who were seeking volunteers, an enormous range from all over Melbourne. There was the AIDS Council, there was working with refugees, there was tutoring. I looked at that, I thought, oh, you know, I've been a teacher, maybe that's something. But that's something I'd done, I didn't do it again. The other one I was a bit interested in was being uh, a bit like a volunteer auditor in aged care. But then I was, I had mum in aged care and I thought, oh, that's enough of that. And the one that really interested me was what's called being a third-party person with the police. And that means... uh, going to help represent a young person who's been taken into custody at the police force who uh, doesn't have anyone else to help them and to make sure they've got their solicitor and to speak to them and so on. Except it was day and night. It could be any old time. And as you know, I like to sleep in. (laughs) So (laughs) I thought about that one. So I put all that information under my bed, which is where I think about things, all the brochures, and I thought, ah, and I was thinking about the third party police. If I can just interrupt you, you've got a lot of experience with kids, mm. but you didn't really have any legal experience, did you? Ah, uh, well, I had done. I have done. I did do a graduate diploma in industrial relations. And I oh, did well, that several make a difference. Law subjects, <laughs> but they were about industrial law. So I'd worked in, but I'd worked quite a bit in um, workers' compensation okay. law and so on. So I'd had a bit of that, but it really would be just applying good common sense that a good parent would provide. So that would be the experience. You didn't have to be a lawyer, that you would ensure they had a lawyer. And that yes. sort of thing. These are kids who have no one to represent them. They come from dysfunctional families. 
Anyway, so I had that under the bed, and then I saw an ad in the paper for independent visitors with youth justice. And I thought, uh, I had, you know, the aha moment, and I thought, yes, that sounds like me. So I applied and went for the interview, and uh, it was a fun interview, um, interviewed by Bernie Geary, who's recently retired as um, his commissioner for young people and children. He's a fantastic guy. You'll hear him on the radio quite mm. often. Um, and he interviewed me and went from there. So that's what I do. Tell me a little bit about what the day-to-day experience of that is. How does that okay. resolve itself? Well, there are a number of independent visitors and they come from all walks of life. But we meet um, usually at Parkville or Malmesbury, where youth justice uh, facilities are. These are for young people who've committed fairly serious crimes. That youth justice facilities is like a, a, a catchphrase. What does it really mean? Well, people <laughs> so, would say, when I say to people I work at, I do um, voluntary work at Parkville, they would know it as the old Tirana, and that's what people would say. It's where young people who've committed serious offences are kept in custody. They're incarcerated. Yeah, yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, many of them on remand, and then many of them are then sentenced for a period of time. And uh, so they range in age. I think technically you'd have to check on that, but we have children from 14 to 19, but I think technically they can be younger, but usually magistrates don't want to send a young person into that facility at that very young age. Give me an example. Make the example Mm. up. I'm not a real person. So I've broken into a shop, pinched a couple of computers. So what's the pathway after that? Well... That probably won't take you to Parkville. <coughs> it and, probably, all right. Yeah, and, so it's and a, you've and held a gun. The, I've hit the owners yes, with something yeah, very heavy. Yes, yes. yes, you've committed a fairly serious crime. Right. And you're a young person. Uh, you would obviously go to court. You would then be remanded, maybe you're charged, remanded, and then eventually you go to court and you're found perhaps guilty of the crime. And at what point are you getting involved okay. in this? Yeah. Well, we visit, say, Parkville once a month, visitors as a group, um, and we talk to the young people who are there on that particular day. And so they could either be young people who are on remand waiting. They may get off their charge or they may not, or they may have incentives. And the sentence, young people are kept separately from remand. That's the legislation. So our role, very simply, is to we go in. I went in this week. We hear a report from the general manager about general things that are happening there, whether there's been an incident or whether there are particular issues. I visit a unit with another visitor on our own. We always feel pretty safe you're, because we're in you're the... Going, you're going pairs. Yes, we go yeah. in pairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we always stay together. Uh, and But the staff are always present. We're never alone with the young people. Right. And I always feel very secure because the kids really aren't so interested in us. They know we're independent. And what they say to us is, oh, yeah, you're the people we can complain to and you get things done. Because Bernie Geary, the simple way of explaining it, Bernie Geary, the commissioner, or was the commissioner of children and young people, he said, you're my eyes and ears. So we just go in and check with the kids. We might talk to them about, um, you know, a kid might say, oh, the food's horrible or my shoes need replacing, those sort of general things. Mm-hmm. But then there are occasionally a serious issue. Um, the young person, I remember once said, oh, I haven't been able to see my solicitor. So I went straight to the unit manager and I said, 
this person, oh, okay, and the unit manager said, here's the phone, and arranged for the kid to ring his solicitor. So sometimes just in a busy place, some things get a bit lost. Sometimes the kids have just arrived, they're they're coming off drugs, they're not terribly well, and they don't realise that perhaps they ought to go to the manager and explain their problem, but they see us as an independent person they can do that with. Yeah. Is there any, I can't think of the right word, antipathy, I suppose, from the administration there that you may well, be coming in spying on them? <laughs> I wondered that, but in fact I found the reverse. The staff, we talked to the staff as well, and I suppose I've often wondered this, the senior manager must, we write a report at the end of the day, uh, each of us, and then it's collated and the particular issues that are serious matters, the general manager then has to follow those up and I suppose it's an extra drag on the day. But I think the manager actually re- thinks it's really helpful. The other day, and I can mention this one, one of our visitors uh, noticed that uh, some of the chairs in the gym had come off their rails, they were sort of attached, and they could have been dangerous. Because could it's, have been used uh, as, as a, a weapon. weapon. That's yeah. right. And just no one had sort of noticed they're busy people. And so he was very grateful for that because it saved a, a, you know, an issue arising Could that didn't need a, to. Yeah, an incident, that, yeah. That's right, yeah. So Could, they've been very, I think they're, they're great. They regard us, they're always very welcoming and, uh, yeah, I'm sure we drive them up the wall sometimes. Can you tell me, <laughs> and I know you have to uh, maintain privacy for the kids who are in there, what sort of offences, or tell me a little bit about the kids, okay. uh, that you can say. Well, I taught in the technical schools and some of the kids had come from fairly poor backgrounds. But when you see the young people in there, by and large, they've come from, not always, but many of them have come from seriously dysfunctional families. Um, the young people, unfortunately... But once again, that's a buzzword. What does dysfunctional well, mean in this context? they don't have families like you and I have, mum and dad and packing their lunch and sending them off to school, providing boundaries for them and, and so on. They've perhaps their parent. Their parents are sometimes in jail as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I often know when you talk to the kids, they say, "My cousin's in over there, and my uncle's in jail, and so on." Um, they haven't. They haven't enjoyed what I'd call a good education. They've often barely been to primary school. They've many of them are into drugs, so that's affected the brain. But also, quite a number of them really haven't had proper nurturing when they were very young children. There's a lot of research around now to show how important that is, that if you're just left in a cot with a bottle, you don't develop perhaps the sensible parts of your brain that allow you to make sensible decisions. But on the other hand, there are some kids who've just come from very good families who've fallen by the wayside, got into drugs and done something really stupid. So it varies. So typically what what offences would they have done? Uh, Oh, murder, rape. Oh. Um, yes, so <laughs> yes, right. they're serious offences <laughs> yes. and serious drug offences and um, I prefer not to know what they've done. Occasionally you do know because they're a high-profile person that's been mentioned in the paper and you know, or when we're talking to the manager about someone, they'll need to tell us what their offence was and some of them are a very of a sexual nature as well mm-hmm. um, and many of them have... Uh, I'd say fairly, some of them have fairly low IQ. Um, the Koori population, unfortunately, is highly represented there. Uh, and we have um, Aboriginal uh, independent visitors 
also who come and see the kids. And um, would, there, would there be many uh, Aboriginal kids in there? Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Quite. Well, what, in, I don't like, know what the figures are, but they're more highly represented than yeah. they would you would expect. So we move on from that just a little bit. What do you get out of the, okay. doing that work? Well, lots of people say to me, oh, you're really good at doing that. And I say, no, I'm not. I really enjoy it, which sounds funny, I suppose, but that's my thing. I like the fact that we are trained. We're regularly trained. We have regular meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're part of a group. We then go out as a pair. I like working in a team. Uh, we come back, we report on what we've seen, and then we leave. And whereas if you're at work, you'd have to follow on, I do my bit for the day, and that's it. I do obviously see some kids each month and you get to know them a little better, and that's good because they do open up a bit more to you. But that's the thing about retirement. I think a lot of people say, you know, I don't want the stress of having to do um, performance reviews with people and all those sorts of things. So I just do my job and that's the end of the day. But, I mean, obviously I think about things that have happened because they're quite dramatic. But I like working with the the team and having something new to have a go at. So just looking at the, the at your face when you're saying these things, yes. you're obviously getting satisfaction out of this, yeah. personal satisfaction. Yeah. And so you're able to use the skills that you developed over a lifetime of work. Mm. But to do something different. To do something different That's and right. something That I've never done before. And you, and you go into that world. Um, my husband had had quite a bit to do with corrections, um, but more with teachers who worked in corrections or in jails. Um, but I'd never had anything to do with people who are incarcerated. So that was a new area, but I thought, yeah, but I can apply the skills I've hopefully got, which I suppose were involved in teaching and working with young people. And I'm pretty good at talking to people. <laughs> You're pretty good at talking. <laughs> That's what everyone says. So I have to be careful with that because when you're talking to young people, you've got to give them time to speak. <laughs> Listeners, uh, I obviously know Robin fairly well, so if you think I'm giving her... A hard time. Yep, that's all right. <laughs> oh, well, I've got a few things on Henry, so that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you're getting you're getting satisfaction out of doing this, mm -hmm. and you're using your skills. Do you enjoy it? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, it's the bit I don't enjoy is driving there. It takes about an hour and twenty minutes in horrible traffic, but getting over that, I do enjoy it. And I'll just give you a comparison with what a friend of mine is doing something quite different in her retirement. And she is writing the stories or biographies for people who are in palliative care. She was a humanities teacher. I couldn't do her job. She's a volunteer and she loves it. She's good at writing and she likes interviewing these people. And she says to me, oh, I couldn't do your job. And I said, yeah, but I couldn't do your job. And they're both voluntary positions, but she mm. loves hers and she gets a buzz out of that. Uh, and I think... I get a buzz because I'm meeting new people. It's a whole, it's a bit like working in a hospital or a whole other area. It's like a little city in itself. Mm. Yeah. So that's a buzz. Not necessarily the work that you have been doing or mm. the uh, interest that you have. Mm. Yeah. If you met someone who was coming up to retirement and they were mm. going to retire in six months' time or so, what would what would you say to them? Okay. Well, it depends on the person, I suppose, and lots of people have a hobby that they've always had. My husband likes golf and he would 
like to play more golf. But not you can't play golf, I don't think you can play golf every day. You need something else. I think you've got to look around for something that you've had a little bit of experience but perhaps in a new environment or something entirely new. But you must do something. Otherwise, I'm never bored. People say to me when they were going to retire, Robin, what do you do? Aren't you bored? Never. I'm never <laughs> bored for a minute. Um, but then I can happily, if I could, you can sit down in the afternoon and read a book, which you can't do when you're at work or, yes. you know, yes. or do the ironing watching some terrible show on TV. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm never bored. But then we're quite busy. We have a, a, a young, well, she's not young, uh, our daughter who has a business and we, we work in her shop for free <laughs> uh, and help with that because it does require quite a bit of extra help from family members and so on. So we've got lots to do, but maybe you mightn't have that. But you do need to look around for being out and about and it, I think it needs to be a regular thing that you do, that you have a particular day when you do your Pilates or you do your play your golf. But you also have time when you are working with a, perhaps a new group of people that you've never met before. I think the underlying thing that you're saying, and I might be uh, misinterpreting mm. this, is not to be holed up at home by yourself. Oh, absolutely not. And why would you... You mm. obviously think that that would be a bad thing. Mm. Why do you think that would be a bad thing? Well, I think you still need... The st if you've worked for 40-odd years, you can't just stop. Because when you're at work, you're meeting new people, you've got you know, generally new projects to do um, and you're used to working at that level. You might want the stress of what that does and that's a joy not to have that. As I said, I do my day and that's that. Um, but And I do think about it, but I don't have to solve the young people's problems. That's not my role. So that suits me. It doesn't suit everyone. You need to find the things that maybe you've enjoyed in the past and haven't had the time to do. I mean, you might want to do, a friend of mine, is a very good sewer. Me, I can't sew to save myself. It would be hideous, me doing that. Mm. But for her, that would be time, and she's an artist as well. So she can obviously spend a little bit more time on those. But you still need to be out of the house by a certain time and doing things, not every day, but to have a... And I do think you still... You do still need a little bit of a routine to... Um, otherwise, you can go, oh, four walls, what am I doing here? But that never happens to me, I must say. <laughs> I'm fortunate I can get out. That's a very good segue into me saying to thank you very much for the interview. That's all right. That'll be $10,000. <laughs> I'll put that in the big book. <laughs> Robin, thanks very much. It gives uh, our listeners a bit of an insight to the various things that you can do when you retire. And this so, is what you're doing, Henry, when you're retired. It is indeed. <laughs> so thank you again. Okay. Well, if you're like me, you probably didn't realise that there was such a thing as an independent visitor for youth justice. And it's interesting that that's the direction that she went. She had vast experience, really, in her previous jobs, and she was able to use that experience to help other people. She enjoyed the job, and there's a number of things that she enjoyed about it. She said a number of times that she liked to work with a team, and this enabled her to do that. Even though she was retired, she was able to work as a team. She's able to regulate the amount of time she put into it. It wasn't very onerous time-wise, and she liked the idea that she could do the job 
the end of the day the job was finished, she wrote up her report and it was done. She didn't have to carry stress with her home and uh, although she did think about it in the evenings, there was she wasn't responsible for outcomes, she was responsible for reporting, she did that, she did it well and that was the end of it for her. She knew she wanted to expand her, her horizons when she had retired and she looked around to find something that did that. I think that she gives us some really good advice towards the end there where she, where she says that people who are used to a routine, used to perhaps starting work at nine and finishing at five, should find something in their retired years, at least in the early part of their retired years, that also has a routine so that their days don't just uh, amble away, that they wake up in the morning with some idea of how the day is going to play out. So wrapping it up, it's an interesting thing she's doing. It suits her admirably. I don't know if there's a lot of opportunity for this for other people, but there'd be similar things. If helping kids or generally getting involved in volunteering is your go, well, she said that there was plenty of places to find the different sorts of volunteer work that, that you could do and you can help your community and help individuals, whatever your bent may be. And hers was helping her family first and then the kids. I hope you've enjoyed this. I think she's a, a special woman. That's all for today. Keep well. See you next time. I want to give that a go for sure. Um, Ian Robert likes to riff it. That was interesting. What a good idea. Oh, wait, I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August... Actually, August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so 
in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.